Amen. You can be seated. We're going to pray together, and if you want to come here at the front and pray with us, then feel free to do that. Um, and we're going to be praying this morning. Um, maybe you have a particular need in your life, a burden in your life. You just need to give over to the Lord, and this is an opportunity to do that. We've been singing to the Lord. We've been reminded who He is. We've been encouraged about the things that are true about God, the things that are true about the future, the things that are true about the past, and how to even think about and process the present. And I don't know what you're going through in your life and where you are in your life, but God does, and He knows how he wants to instruct you to deal with that. And so this morning, we're just going to have some time of prayer. If you want to come to the front, you can pray. If you want to kneel where you're seated, you can do that. If you want to stay seated, that's okay as well. But, uh, but let's spend some time talking to the Lord. We do come to you, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. You are worthy of our worship today. You are worthy as our heavenly Father who looks down upon us as children, God, who are broken and who have made so, much, so many mistakes in our lives, with our words, with our attitude, with our actions, <clears throat> the things that we've omitted from our lives, God, the things that we've committed. We understand those things are real and they're true. But when we think about you, just in this space, in this moment, Lord, in this service, we remember you to be a God who is good. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are patient. You're holy. You're righteous in every way. You're a God who is love. You didn't learn how to love. No one taught you how to love. You are love. No one taught you to be gracious or kind or just. You are those things, God. And we just bow before you this morning because, Lord, we are frail and we are um, we're weak in many respects, Lord. We're not those things, and yet we worship the God who is God, we thank you this morning that we hear you and we see you in all of creation. The birds sing a song that they didn't come up with on their own. You designed them to sing that song. We hear the drops of the dew of the morning from our homes and from our vehicles, and we realize that you're a God who provides, for we remember what your Bible says in the Old Testament, that every morning when the Israelites came out in the wilderness, like the dew of the day, you provided for them manna from heaven. You're a God who provides, you're a God who, Lord, creates everything good about you, Lord, we see. You're a God that is in control, you hold everything together. God, we're surrounded by pain and struggle. It just seems as though every week, Lord, we hear of some sort of tragedy in our country or around the world taking place, and we've become numb to it. But you're not that. You're not a God who is a God of carnage and death. You're a God who redeems, restores these things are not of you. 
We're grateful this morning, God, just for the chance that we have to pause and be quiet. For Lord, your word says time and time again to be still before you. To be still and know that you are God. And we need to be reminded that you're God. Right here, right now. Lord, in this room, God, there are so many decisions that need to be made. So many life experiences that have happened this past week. So many things, God, that we bring before you and to you. You speak into every one of those arenas. God, we are broken. We're sinners. We confess that to you. We repent of that this morning, right here, right now. But we also, Lord, pledge our obedience to you, our faithfulness to you. God, we want you to be magnified and lifted up in our hearts and in our minds every day. We reposition ourselves this morning. We commit ourselves to you today because you're God and we are not. Everything good in us is because of you. Everything bad in us is because of us. But you're a good and gracious God. You redeem, you restore, and Lord, the mistakes that we've made in our life. Lord, do not define us. Jesus, you define us. We thank you, Lord, that even in our failures, you rise up within us and remind us that you are strong. We were never meant to live this life on our own. God, we were never meant to try to make decisions on our own or try to raise families on our own or work jobs on our own or manage our own money and manage our own time and manage ourselves. God, you're the one who steps in and gives us the wisdom and the discernment to do those things. And even in our weaknesses, even in our failures, Lord, you teach us to depend upon you. And we come to you, Lord, with many things. And we're asking you, God, to move. Because if you don't move in these spaces, if you don't move in these arenas, God, it will not happen. And there are things in our individual lives that we're talking to you about, even now. Things that God in our prayer closet, things at home, things, Lord, when we're riding down the road that we think about, and things that, Lord, we just don't have answers for. We're asking God for you to speak. Because only you can, Lord, deliver your perfect will. Only you can move. Only you can work. And in so many ways, we don't have the answers, but you have the answers. And you're working in ways we don't understand and see and, under, and, and, and imagine, but God, we want to trust you, so we do trust you this morning. We trust your word. We trust your power. We trust your presence. Because we are a people this morning in desperate need of understanding that. We, above all people, Lord, want to magnify the name of Jesus. We, above all people, God, here at Central, want to be a people who are a people of faith, a people who walk by faith and not by sight. And so find us, Lord, this morning pursuing righteousness, hungry and thirsty for it, hungry and thirsty to know what your word says and to follow it. Because, God, we know that, Lord, it never returns void. We give this time over to you, Lord, not only this time of prayer, but God, as we talk to you now, we turn to listen to you and what your word says to us this morning. We pray that you would, Lord, speak into our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, convict us, move in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we would follow you fully. Help us to hear your voice clearly. Help us to see your word clearly. And give us, Lord, the faith to believe, the faith to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 
We're in Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. You see that? Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua. To the book of Joshua. We're going to look at this morning at three simple and small voices or verses that are power-packed. Are you ready? They're power-packed verses because they are powerful and important for us to get this morning as we look at what God's Word has to say to us. You ever met somebody who... Uh, just seems to tell you and, and understand and remember all kinds of dates and memories and specific events that took place years ago. I marvel at those kinds of people. I'm not one of them. I sometimes forget what happened last year or a week ago or something of that nature. But there are certain people, and we have those people, and we know who those people are in our lives that just have this photographic memory. Um, and they remember important things. I had at my last church that I served at, God gave me this sweet, sweet lady who was in our church, and she lived just two blocks down from the church. She was a charter member of our church. She was the last living charter member of our church, and uh, I had the privilege of being her last pastor here on earth. And I always say that from time to time um, whenever I, you know, officiate a, a, a memorial service or something of that nature. Um, that it is an honor to be the last pastor before you meet Jesus, you know, that anyone has. And uh, I remember spending time with Miss Ruby, who was uh, two doors down, and she would sit in her back porch. She would have her windows open. She had a beautiful little backyard, but she lived in a very simple house that she had lived in since the 1940s. That's right. She used to walk herself to church, walk her kids to church two blocks down, and here she was sitting in this back little kind of sunroom, if you will, with the windows open, and she would look and watch the birds and watch the squirrels and all of that, you know. She couldn't see very well, um, and so, but she could hear sharp as a tack. And so I would come up on the back porch right by that sunroom, and I would knock on the door, and she couldn't see who I was. She was maybe five, ten, five or six feet from me. She didn't know who I was. Um, but I would quickly just announce who I was, and we would come in, and we would have a nice chat. And what was amazing to me about her is that she could tell me every detail about every pastor, every detail about every event that happened in the life of that church. And she had this incredible photographic memory as a somewhat of a historian, if you will. She could remember names, she could remember dates, she could remember events, she could remember all of these things of the course of the last like 60, 70, 80 years of the life of that church, which I know was young compared to us. But the fact of the matter is, she had this incredible photographic memory, and it was so important, and it was encouraging for me because I would go over there, and I would spend time, and she would be reminiscing about all the things that God did in the past. It was so important for me because it was encouraging for me at times when I was having a bad day or a bad season in the life of the church or dealing with some kind of a challenge or struggle or something to go sit with Miss Ruby. And I had the honor just right before I came here to Central to do her memorial service. She lived to be 101. And at 101 years old, the place was packed. And I had the chance to talk about her life and have a chance to talk about all that she did. And it was an absolute celebration of life in that room. We've been at part, parts of, uh, of those types of services. It is important to remember what God has done in the past, is it not? It is important for you and I to remember the greatness of God. I call it the benchmarks of God's greatness. If it, were, if it were me and I'm talking to you, what I would do is I would take a notebook from time to time and I would write down everything that God has done that's big in my life because you need those moments to go back to and remember that God is a God who delivers. He's a God who, who, who delivers on the things that he says. He's a God who delivers in those moments, in those spaces that you need him the most 
Those are the benchmarks of God's greatness, and God uses those to surround you to be uh, somewhat of a strong foundation around you to stir you on to continue to walk by faith in your life. It's important to have those moments in our life. I want to just remind us this morning that whether you're an Israelite years ago, as we see here in the book of Joshua, or you're here today, I want to remind you that God has not changed. We know the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God who delivers on his promises, and he is a God who keeps his word. Look in your Bibles with me. This comes at the end of a long passage, a passage we've been in the last two or three Sundays kind of moving around here. This is the allotment of land, but it comes here at the end of chapter 21. There are these three very power-packed verses that I want to draw your attention to, and we're going to unpack them this morning. Very simple and straightforward for us to understand. Look at your Bibles with me. It says in verse 43, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it. And they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. We're almost done with the book of Joshua. We're just, we're in the finish line. You know, whenever you pass that fourth turn and you're looking at the finish line in a race, you can see it. And we're just a few weeks away from the book of Joshua being in, coming to an end here on Sunday mornings. But here's the thing. What I want to remind us of is God has established his place of justice. We saw that a week ago. God here in Israel has already established his place of justice. He has worked. He has moved with power upon Israel. He prepared them to enter the promised land. Then he brings them into the promised land and he fights the battles for them. They defeat Jericho. They defeat Ai. <clears throat> they go and they have to deal with coalitions of, of city-states and kings who come together and say, well, one of us can't defeat him, but about five of us can defeat Israel. And they try to go up against Israel, but what they don't realize is they're going up against God himself. And you never lose. You never win against God yourself. And this is what's happening time and time again. God has delivered them, he's delivered them, he's delivered them because they're faithful and they're walking in obedience towards God. They're taking God up on his offer. They're doing what God wants them to do, him to do. And so they are following him and he is bringing victory after victory after victory. He brings them into the promised land as we saw a week ago. He's establishing justice. But these three verses at the end of chapter 21 are a summary, if you will, of all that God has done. God is in the business of redeeming. He is in the business of restoring. The fact of the matter is God was doing this work a long time ago. God has been faithful. He was faithful to Israel. And listen, this morning, he is faithful to you. He is faithful to me. We need to be reminded of this. God is a God of integrity. He defines integrity. The fact of the matter is what God says he will do. If God doesn't say it, he's not going to do it, but if, if whatever God says, he will do. Every warning in the scriptures will come to pass. Every blessing that he promises will come to pass. Every promise that he promises us will come to pass. Here's the challenge of our lives. Listen, here's the challenge, the real challenge in your life, the real challenge in my life, in my own heart. It's not that God does not say things to us. It's not that God does not speak. He speaks clearly. You're holding it in your hands. 
The challenge in our life is that either we don't listen or we're not willing to follow what he says. That's the real challenge. We either don't choose, we choose not to follow what he says, or, by the way, we forget what he says. That's a huge challenge for our lives, is that we forget the things that he has shared with us. The, we forget the things that he has done. And it was true for them. It is true for us. We see God's faithfulness in these three power-packed verses. And I just want to unpack them for us this morning because God is a word for us to remember, okay? What I want to remind you of this morning, what God was reminding them of is what verse 43 says. He gave them the land. He gave them the land. I mean, look at verse 43 again. Thus the Lord, what? Gave to Israel all the land, not half the land, not 30% of the land. He gave them all of the land that he, what? Swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. That's a power-packed verse, because whatever God says, and whatever God promises, he will deliver on. He delivered on this for Israel. This is no ordinary land. God had a purpose and plan for everything. Listen, God has a purpose and plan for everything in your life. You got to remember that. You got to stay true to that. And he had always, God has always ordered. He is not, never random. He is not a God of chaos. He is not a God of chance. That's a word we make up. That's not a God, that's not a word that God makes up. We understand that we follow a God of order. We follow a God who has everything in his hands. And all of it is to be followed. You and I need to remember that. This is the fulfillment in verse 43 of what God has said long ago. God is again in the business of redeeming. He is in the business of restoring. Think in terms of this with me. In Genesis chapter 12, God promises who? Abram. Remember that name? He promises Abram four things. He says to Abram, to his people, to, to Abram, he's going to build this, this, this nation or this people. He promises them land. He promises them rest. He promises them blessing. He promises them life. But guess what? It's all lost. Why is it all lost? Why is it all lost in our lives? Why when we're born and we grow up and we struggle and all of these things happen to us that we don't have this kind of rest? We don't have blessings. We, we don't have that, that sense of life in us. It's because of sin. And in Genesis 3, when Genesis 3 took place, the world was broken, creation was broken, and we lost these things. But God says, I'm a God who is a redeemer. I'm a God who's going to restore. I'm going to give you these things, even though you don't deserve them, because I'm a God of grace and a God of mercy. And I'm going to restore, and I'm going to redeem, and I'm going to bring these things to fruition in your life, Abram. And I'm going to use you as a catalyst, as a center of your, your name is going to become great, and your this family is going to grow. God was doing something new and great. Abraham never got to see it. But here we are on this side of Jesus Christ. We see it. And the fact of the matter is, it didn't come easy, did it? They had to walk by faith. They had to, to struggle. They had to go through some stuff in order to, to walk by faith and be obedient to God. But God inevitably, he then brought before them, he gave them the land. He provided that for them. He promised them that if they would take him up on this offer to surrender to them, to trust him, to obey him, then God would give them these things. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Do you know how old our country is? 245. For 400 years, 
the Israelites were in Egypt, enslaved, waiting for the promise of God. 400 years, almost twice as long as our country has been in even existence, holding on to a promise. You see, we sometimes read these verses in the Bible, and we just skim over them, and we think, wow, God's great, but we don't understand. We're talking about hundreds of years here. We're talking about incredibly, uh, incredible power that God is bringing about upon his people. God delivered them from Egypt, but they weren't home. You see, God brings them out of Egypt. He splits the Red Sea. They come out into the wilderness. God's got to take them to, to Sinai, right, through, by way of Moses, He's going to bring them to the promised land because they're not home. They don't have rest. They don't have the inheritance. They don't have this life. They don't have this blessing yet. But they got this promise from God. And now he had sworn, this land that he had sworn to his people is now theirs. Joshua chapter 13, a few chapters before this, we learn that this is a covenant promise by way of God. God had given this promise to his people, and now on the east side of the Jordan River, and now all of the western part of the Jordan River, on the western part side of the Jordan River, this is the land that God had promised to Abram hundreds of years before he delivers on this. God is a God who not only gives his promises, but he delivers on those promises. And this generation takes God up on his, on his offer. That if you'll follow me, if you'll walk by faith and not worry about the things around you like generation one, the things that you can see, the things that you feel, but you'll just simply walk by faith and obey me, if you'll trust, if you'll obey, if you'll surrender, if you'll do these things, no matter what the political situation is going to be like, by the way, that's going to change here in Israel, because in the next generation is going to lead to the splinter of the land no matter what happens in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that this nation is going to split into two and it's going to be judged again no matter what happens. If you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, if you'll surrender to me, if you'll obey me, things will go well for you and I will give you what, you, what I want to give to you. That's God's covenant promise. And this is the, the generation here and generation two that takes God up on that. He did his part, and he delivers the land. But he doesn't just deliver the land, he also gave them rest, which leads to verse 44. Look in your Bibles again, because in verse 44 it says, and God reminds them of this, and the Lord God gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Think about this for a moment. He gave all of their enemies into their hands. I mean, think in terms of what we've already seen way back in Joshua chapter 1. Listen to this promise. Joshua chapter 1, verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over the over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers than he has to you, that he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. He was giving them rest. He was promising them rest. He had promised Abraham hundreds of years rest, and he's going to give his, his, his people rest. 
This rest is not this rest in which they're serving, sitting on the front porch of their house in this rocking chair drinking a cup of coffee. This rest that he's referring to is rest from their enemies. You've got to understand Israel is surrounded by enemies. Israel is consistently and continually oppressed. And yet this is the land that he had sworn to his people. This is the land that he's going to give to his people. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, you can write this down and read it later. But Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 9 says this. For you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over this Jordan or over the Jordan and you live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution with, your, with you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. God had promised them rest way back in Deuteronomy. He had promised them rest way back in Genesis, and God is delivering on this. The people of God had never had rest. They'd always had enemies. They'd always had people just oppressing them. In Egypt, they had taskmasters literally beating them. They had people who were oppressing them. They had people who were making them build structures out of nothing. They had to come up with their own materials. Imagine coming to you and saying, here, build a house, and making you build the house, and then not providing the materials to build the house, making you go get your own materials, make it yourself, and then build this house. This is the kind of oppression God's people were being oppressed with. You talk about injustice, God's people were being held under this this oppression, if you will. They were hated, they were despised, they were oppressed. But God delivered them from Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, splits it apart, brings them into the wilderness. Barrier after barrier. It seemed that God was never going to deliver on his promise. Maybe that's where you are. You read your Bible and you read about these things that God says to you and these promises. And well, this is what God says. Why isn't this happening in my life? Ever feel that way? You see, the Israelites had to wait a long time to see God deliver on these promises. But now, here in Joshua chapter 21, they have rest. Rest from their enemies. But it did not come easy. I mean, they had to trust God to get the rest. They had to be obedient to God to get the rest. They, they had to surrender to God's will to get the rest. And so they had to surrender to his plan, not their own. His wisdom and his instruction, not their own logic, right? I mean, who in their right mind walks around the city walls of a major fortified city with your sword and your, you know, on your side, just walking around the city walls. And yet they did it. And God delivered them. The walls of Jericho come down. When they tried to follow their own way in AI, it failed. When they started to come back to what God wanted, they succeeded again. But it wasn't just Jericho and AI. When the coalitions of city-states came together, the kings came together and said, you know what, one of us can't defeat them, but how about five or six of us can defeat them? God plowed them out. They received their rest, but it wasn't easy. They had to obey. They had to trust. They had to follow what God wanted. 
The fact of the matter is, regardless of all of those things, there's no barrier that is too great for God. Which is why at the end of Joshua chapter 11, God says, then he gave them rest from what? War. God defeats the enemies. God has the plan. God tells us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, how we're supposed to think. And then God just tells us we need to be obedient, take him up on his offer, trust him, follow him. And when we do those things, when we trust him, God's the one who brings about the victories. We sing about the victories from the stage. We sing about it in our cars, in our trucks, in the showers. We sing about the goodness of God, don't we? Because he is a God who delivers and he is the God who comes through with what he says, through war. Still this constant, though war, there's still this constant threat to his people. God did his part. He subdued the enemies in Canaan. So he gives them land. He gives them rest. But notice what the Bible says there at the end. Very simple, power-packed verse in verse 45. He kept his promises. Look at verse 40, 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. We know that God kept his word. We understand what it's like when someone keeps their word to us. Versus someone who doesn't keep their word. We know what it's like when we walk up to someone and we shake their hand and we agree upon something. Or you have a close friend or a family member and, and you would never think that that person would betray you, but they sometimes do. Or that individual or that person breaks that deal, right? Sometimes people will tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes they will give us half-truths. But God never gives us half-truths. He gives us all the truth. The thing about what God does is he doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what he wants you to hear. And there's a major difference. God is a God of his word. God is both a promise giver and he is a promise keeper. I want to remind you of this from way back in Genesis chapter 1. It was in Genesis chapter 2, rather. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Listen to what God says to Abraham, I'm sorry, to Adam and Eve. In verse 17 of Genesis chapter 2 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then you fast forward to chapter 3, verse 5 says this. This is how God is revealing his will. He doesn't do the bait and switch. God is always revealing what he wants us to know. For God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it the fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they, had, they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You think God didn't prepare them for that? God prepared them for it. He just told them that this would happen. But they wouldn't listen, and they followed through with what God told them not to do, which then led to Cain, their own son, rising up, having hatred in his heart and killing his own brother out of jealousy and anger. Fast forward then to Noah in Genesis chapter 6. We see time and time again God revealing his will to us. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, why did he find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Well, chapter 7 of Genesis says this, and the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and the pair of the animals that are not clean 
the male and his mate and the seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive in the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And what? guess what happens? Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Did God deliver on that promise? He did. He destroyed everything, everything that he had created that was meant to glorify him, that was meant to worship him. God took it all away, right? Then you fast forward now to where we are in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2. I love the passage that God shows us. I'm sorry, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Fast forward, is God a God who is a promise giver and a promise keeper? Well, listen to what it says in Joshua 1, 2. Moses, my servant, is dead, he says to Joshua. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. God is not only a God who is a promise giver, he is a promise keeper. God is a giver. The Old Testament, we see it. We see it in the New Testament through our Lord Jesus Christ. He promises us many things. Jesus himself promises us many things time and time again. But then he delivers on these promises, which leads us back to this verse. The end of chapter 21 not one word of all that the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. Listen, you can open your Bible. You and I can open our Bibles and find promise after promise. And sometimes those promises may not line up with our will. Sometimes those promises may not line up with what you want to see and I want to see. We come sometimes to the Bible and we open our Bibles and we're looking for all this encouragement, all these things, right? And then we come to passages that are like, wow, okay, God just hit me between the eyes, right? I love the passage that tells us in the, in the New Testament where God disciplines those he loves. God speaks truth into our life, doesn't he? He's always going to promise you that things will go well for you if you follow me. Things will not go well for you if you follow your own will and follow your own will, a word, in your own logic in your life. But every promise that God promises is good, even the things that we don't want to hear. Because they come from God, and they are always perfect, and they are always good. And when you open your Bible, you're going to discover alongside God these good promises is this. God keeps his word. Every promise that he gives, you can be confident, and you can take that, and you can believe in it, because the Lord keeps his word. God's words and his work are always aligned. Let me say that again. God's word and his work are always aligned. We boast about all kinds of things to each other, right? We promise things, we, we say things, we watch the news and we hear things, but the fact of the matter is whatever God says and whatever God does are perfectly aligned. And it's important for us to remember that in very Good seasons in our life or exciting seasons in our life, but also in difficult seasons in our lives. You can be confident that the Lord keeps his word. Which then leads us to this. Because if you know that the Lord keeps his word, then listen this morning. Trust the words of God. Trust the words of God. You can trust them. You don't have to wonder if God is saying something and he's not going to deliver on something. 
We have the choice as to whether to believe it or not. We have the choice as to whether to trust him or not. We have the choice as to whether to say and take the things that he tells us and shares with us and believe in those things and act upon those things. We have that choice. But if you know that the Lord keeps his word, then trust the things that he's going to say. I think in our lives, confidence grows the more that we read, the more that we see how God is delivering on his word time and time again. Confidence grows. It's like the integrity of a house. The integrity of the house is not what you see on the outside. It could be this beautiful structure on the outside. Or it could be a really ugly structure on the outside. And what you see aesthetically with your eyes, you say, wow, that's a, that's a great house right there. I want to buy that house. Or I can look at a house and say, that's an ugly house. I don't want to buy that house. The real proof is in the integrity of the structure. It's the foundation in the house. It's how it was framed out. It's all the small things that the builder did to make sure that that foundation stays intact or how it was built. And it could be ugly on the outside. It could be really nice on the outside. But internally, structurally, it could be a mess. And the fact of the matter is what God does in our life is time and time again, he is building this structure. He's building this evidence, edifice in our life. He's building this foundation in our life that's, that's his promise giver, promise keeper. Promise giver, promise keeper. And he's doing this in our life and he's building out our life to the ins, from the inside out. He's consistently reminding me of his faithfulness. He's consistently reminding me of his goodness. He's consistently reminding us and reminding me that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. I've seen it and I've read about it in the Bible. I've seen it in, in the lives of other people. I've seen it in my own personal life, right? I continue to say these things to myself. I remind myself of these things time and time again. And my confidence, not in myself, but my confidence in God continues to grow. Guess what? My perspective changes. No matter what's happening in the world today, no matter what's happening in the shifting, shaping of our culture today, I understand that what God says will always come to fruition. I have this eternal, eternal mindset. And I can believe in this eternal mindset. I don't go down the road of doubt. I don't go down the road of wondering whether God's going to deliver on this promise or not. And so if you know the Lord keeps his word, trust in the words that he says. If you know that the Lord will keep his word, then listen, trust, you ready for this? Trust that God is going to be tenacious. He will be tenacious to fulfill his promise to destroy the barriers and the obstacles that get in his way. He will be tenacious to bring down the strongholds, to bring down the superficial kind of paper mache obstacles that stand in the way of God's will being done. You see, to us, these barriers are strong. To us, these barriers seem overwhelming. But to God, it's just paper mache. It's a house of cards. He sees right through it. It's like when we look back in just a few weeks ago to Jericho. And the trust of the people of Jericho was not in God. It wasn't in the land. It was in their walls, which is why they didn't open the doors and come rushing out after the Israelites when they were coming across the Jordan River. They were like, who cares? Let's just keep the walls in front of us. And what did God do? 
He simply told his people, just march around the walls, they're going to come down. And they did. In every respect. You see, if you trust the word of God, and you trust that he's going to keep his word, then trust that God's going to be tenacious to fulfill his promise to destroy these barriers, these obstacles. God's people had obstacles. We have obstacles. But the Lord never wavered. He never wavered. My parents, I'll tell this quick story. My parents, I played football in college. And they came to me and they would say to me, you know what, I'm never, we're never going to miss one of your games. And if you know my parents, then you know they were going to do anything they were going to do to make sure that they went to any of my away games or my home games. And they did. I was talking to them yesterday and they were reminding me of time and time again how my parents would, they'd come to an away game, they'd drive several hours to an away game on a Saturday. And they would literally drive all night long, Saturday night, and my dad would get back to where he was, to his church, to preach the next morning. And sometimes it would be an hour or 30 minutes before he had to preach. And they had driven all night long just so he could keep a promise that he had given to me that he would always, and they would always be at one of my away games. By the way, whether I played or not. <laughs> if I was on the sidelines, they were going to be there. And I think about that promise in the sense of, 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 of human beings, of which we all break our promises, right? But when it comes, when it comes to the Lord, understand this. Kids, God's people had obstacles. We have obstacles in our life, but the Lord never wavered from fulfilling the promise that he was given to his people. And he was tenacious to move out of the way any barriers, any obstacles that existed there. And finally, listen, there is no rest or peace in life without Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind us of that this morning because look at the, the verses again. This the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it. They settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side. And then in verse 45, not one word of all the promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The fact of the matter is when we open the New Testament and we learn all about who Jesus Christ is, in the end, when Jesus returns, he removes any opposition that stands against his people. He removes the obstacles. He removes the people. He removes the things that are in the way of what, what we see. Just look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Listen, this is the ultimate obstacle in our lives. Look at this. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, look at verse 7, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, listen to this, verse 8, says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at verse 9, says this, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There is nothing that stands against the church. There is nothing that stands against the follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that stands against God or his word that will stand in the end. It will not. You're on the right side, and I'm on the right side. And you've got to come to understand that there is no rest, and there is no peace without Jesus Christ. Where there is opposition, there is a promise of a day of judgment. Which is why you need to give your life to Christ if you haven't already. Because you stand on that other side. And yet, at the same time, God loves you. At the same time, God cares deeply for your life. And he wants to have that personal relationship with you. 
And he has this window of opportunity, this window that God opens before us to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ because he's perfect and holy and he knows that you and I are not. Therefore, Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, die on the cross a sinless death as a sacrifice so that you might believe in him, you might give your life to him, that you might have the promise of eternal life. And that's why we need to remember the truth of God's word. We need to remember the truth of what he says to us. We're really, really good at spiritual amnesia. Forgetting about who God is and forgetting about his promises or forgetting about these things. There's a thing that I do, and there's, a, there's two little pieces of, of uh, simple, cheap, inexpensive. One is made of uh, pipe cleaners, little pipe cleaners, two of them together. And there's this little Jesus bracelet. I keep this in my desk drawer, and I have for 25 years. I keep this at home. Both were made by a little eight-year-old girl that I met on my very first international mission trip in about eight hours north of Moscow, Russia. I was a college student at the time. I was kind of timid. I was kind of scared. But I knew God wanted me to go on a mission trip, but I didn't know where to go, and I didn't know how to get there. So I made a few phone calls, and God just opened a door for me to go. And I spent two weeks with a group of 25 people of which I never knew, never understood, never met before I boarded the plane to go over there. God challenged me. He stretched me. He pushed me in ways that I never thought I'd be pushed. And here I was sharing the gospel. Here I was preaching for the very first time through a translator in Russia. We went into an orphanage outside of the community we were working in and serving in. 2,000 orphans who were on this camp in the middle of nowhere, there were 12 adults to look after them for 2,000 children, ranging from about five or six years old up to 18. The statistics in Russia at that point told us, they told us, they said at the age of 18, they're kicked out of the orphanages and within, 20, within two years, they're either up in prison or they end up as drug addicts or the females end up as prostitutes. A little eight-year-old girl, I still have her picture, made this little bracelet for me and she handed it to me. And I've kept it all these years, 25 years ago. This little bracelet was the bracelet that I used to share Jesus with her. And I keep that in my desk drawer. Why? To remind me of the goodness and the grace and the power of God. Because if God can take a young college student who knows very little and take him across the world to a community and to a place that he's never been, speaking through translators for the very first time, stretching him and doing these things in my life, to do this, if he can do that, then God is powerful enough to deliver on his promises. He taught me dependence upon him. He taught me the beauty of, uh, of, of giving my life away for the sake of other people that they might know Jesus. Listen, you're going to be discouraged. I am discouraged at times. But when you are discouraged, you need to look to Jesus. When you are discouraged, you need to open your Bibles and come face to face again with a God who not only promises things, but delivers on those promises. Don't let cynicism, don't let pessimism, don't let the things going on around you or in our culture today, discourage you. Don't let the questions that you have unanswered 
and that you can't figure the answers out discourage you, you look to Jesus. You live with trust, with obedience, and with surrender. That whatever God says he will do, he will do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. You know, as we have a time of response, I just want to encourage us this morning in the words of God here in 43, 44, and 45. God is so good. He's perfect. He promises us many things. He delivers on those promises. And may the promises that God delivered upon in Israel encourage you this morning. You know, we're going to stand and sing a song together, and when we do, maybe what God wants you to do is just come here and just kneel here at the front and just pray and just maybe turn something over to the Lord. Maybe God wants you to pray about a particular matter. Maybe he wants you to come and you just need help in that prayer. I'd be happy to pray with you here at the front. Maybe God is speaking to you about giving your life to Jesus, his son. That is what he wants. Don't leave here today without doing that. It's not about believing about Jesus, but he wants you to give your life to Jesus. That's what he wants. Maybe God is leading you to be baptized. It is not right for you to be a Christian. You say, I follow Jesus Christ, but not be baptized. One, he told you to. He wants you to go public with it. And it's time to go public with it. And so this morning, if you're here and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I've never been baptized. Well, then you need to follow through with believer's baptism. So I'll be here at the front if you want to come and say, I want to be baptized. Whatever God is speaking to you about, you need to say yes to him and give your life to, uh, to follow him fully. So let me pray for us and we're going to stand and sing. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your promises. We give this time to you and pray that you would, Lord, lead us to be obedient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's sing this song together and worship him. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all
Can I give an answer? 